Should Joel Embiid get more love, get more consideration for MVP? I'm thinking no, but I'm definitely interested in your thoughts. It's the cipher. 46 to 48 games into this NBA season. And I've enjoyed the season. It's been a fun season. There's been some surprising teams. There's been some young players that have stepped up. There's been some disappointing teams, and there's been some disappointing players. When you look at the Sixers at 31 and 17, with Embiid averaging 27, 13, three assists, two blocks, 49% from the floor. He is clearly the number one option on that team. He's their best player. But then you also have Jimmy Butler averaging 19 points a game. Ben Simmons giving you 16, and then J.J. Redick chipping in with 18. The Sixers have a strong starting five. The problem is, I think their bench is a little suspect. I think the Sixers are in need of another shooter. And I also think that if Ben Simmons continues to not be aggressive consistently offensively, if he won't at least make himself a consistent scoring threat, when the playoffs hit, even with the addition of Jimmy Butler, I think the Sixers will have the same problems that they had last year's playoffs. And that that was this. Teams know that Ben Simmons is a reluctant shooter. And and look, we get it. He's not a great shooter, even if he wanted to. But he's got to at least make himself a scoring threat. Whether he's attacking the basket, posting up, or even taking a hook shot or a mid-range jump shot. If he stays aggressive, it still opens the floor up for everybody. But when he's passive, when he's reluctant, especially in late game situations, it hinders the entire offense. The Sixers should be better than 31 and 17, but they're winning games on raw talent. Not because they have great chemistry, not because they're an overly consistent team, just on their pure talent more importantly on the talents of their starting five and really we can narrow it down to four it's reddick simmons butler and bead i think philly has a legitimate shot if they can make the right pickup before the playoffs and if they can establish more of a pecking order because it seems like there's a there's a seesaw battle between butler and Embiid. I think Butler knows Embiid's the number one option, but he still wants more touches because at the end of the day, we all know Jimmy Butler is going to be a free agent. And whether it's the Sixers or somebody else, Jimmy Butler is looking for that super max. I don't think he's going to get it, but I guarantee you that's what he, he and his agent are looking for. Good luck with that. 46 games into this season, And I enjoy watching both the Nets and Kings play. Both of these young teams, they compete hard, and I enjoy that. And at this point in the season, Brooklyn, 25 and 23. They beat the the Kings the other night, who are 24 and 23. Today, these are two franchises, in my opinion, I think they're trending up. You've got D'Angelo Russell. You've got super sub Spencer Dinwiddie and a young big and Jared Allen to give the Nets a core Three And it's really a core four once the return of Car- Karis LeVert happens. And, and he suffered a crazy foot injury. It was actually a, a foot dislocation. And, and it's unsure 
when he'll return. But even without him, I think Brooklyn has been one of the best stories of the season. And are just fun to watch because they seem to give themselves a shot to win every night. The Nets just seem to have a nice blend of young talent and they've got some solid vets like Joe Harris and Damari Carroll, along with Alan Crabb. The key has been the development of Dimwitty and Russell, who've turned into one of the league's better backcourts. The only question moving forward with the Nets isn't will they make the playoffs or not. I'm certain New Jersey's going to make the playoffs if they can remain healthy. The question is, beyond this season, what are the Nets prepared to pay D'Angelo Russell to keep his services? Because my guess is Russell's going to be looking for anywhere between 18 and $20 million a year, and I'm not sure the Nets want to come off that. When I look at the Kings, I talked about them early in the year, and the question was, could they sustain what they were doing? And I thought they could sustain it. I just thought they would fall short when it came to a playoff run. But when you look at what De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Hill have been doing, and both have played well all season long, Fox, 17 points a game, 7 assists, 46% from the field, 36 from three. Buddy Hill, 21 points a game, 5 rebounds, 48% from the field, 45 from three. With the addition of Willie Cauley-Stein finally starting to look like that big that they drafted three years ago, along with rookie Mar Marvin Bagley Jr., I think they have their own solid core four. They've also got some solid veterans around them with Shumpert and Bogdanovich. I, I, honestly, I'm not so sure that their coach, Dave Yeager, shouldn't get more love for coach of the year. I know they might not make the playoffs, but right now, this team has put themselves in a position to at least still compete for the playoffs. This is a young team, and it's a young team on the rise. 46 games into this season, and the Boston Celtics, there's still a combo of Jekyll and Hyde. Celtics are 29-18, and 18, but still seem like a team struggling to find an identity. They seem, there's a rift, they're split. There's the Celtics with Kyrie Irving running the show. And then there's the Celtics with that core from last season when they made that deep playoff run, lost in game seven in the conference finals. This team is talented and deep enough to win the East, maybe win it all. But they're inconsistent and, and, and disconnected enough to maybe even lose in the first round. Kyrie Irving's giving you 23 points a game, seven assists, and five rebounds. 49% from, from the floor, over 40% from three. And a lot of people are thinking he's the problem. My concern with the Celtics coming into this year was when you take that core that went on the run last year, featuring Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Terry Rozier, and you ask them to take a step back because you're incorporating Gordon Haywood and Kyrie, that's an ego thing. It's hard to be told you're going to take less shots and play less minutes because these guys are better than you. And to be fair, Gordon Haywood probably still isn't 100%, and he hasn't really looked better than Brown or Jason Tatum. But there's no question Kyrie Irving is the best player on the Boston Celtics. 
He's the only player on the Boston Celtics that you would even mention the word superstar with. And I'm not sure Kyrie's a superstar, but he definitely has had superstar moments. And he's had superstar moments in the finals. He's proven. Boston might be a squad with too much talent, which isn't the case in Portland. I enjoy watching Dame and CJ go to work. Get, don't get me wrong. Love the two of them. But I think that they expand so much energy during the regular season that come playoff time, teams are being physical with them and trapping them. Talking about Lillard and CJ, it just wears on them. And it seems like we've seen this movie in Portland. We've seen it before. Have a 50-plus win season and then get knocked out in the first round. The truth of the matter is, other than CJ and Damian Lillard, nobody wants anybody else off that roster. They have no tradable assets that can actually go out and get them another piece to add to Lillard and CJ. The real question is, if the Blazers get bounced from the playoffs again in the first round, my gut feeling is they'll have to make a move. Matter of fact, I'll say this. Because I think we're heading, again, we're heading for the same ending. I think they need to make a move now. And maybe it's a bold move. I'm a big Damian Lillard fan. Trust me, I'm a huge Damian Lillard fan. But for the benefit of the franchise, for the future of the franchise, and maybe for his own future in terms of wanting to have playoff success or he has championship aspirations, He's the piece that might have to be moved because he's the piece that you'll get the greatest return on to begin with. Now, you've heard the rumors that Memphis, of course, is shopping Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley, which makes sense because Memphis is going nowhere. Gasol is going to be 34 in a week. Conley's 31, a talented player, but injury prone. The question is, if you're Portland, would you entertain the thought of going after either one of those guys? And what would you give up to get them? Because you've got a solid center. He's not a superstar, but he's rock solid. He's the guy that's going to give you 15 and 10. With the addition of Marcus Saul change Portland's fortunes? I think not. If you traded Damian Lillard for Mike Conley in Memphis's first round pick and a couple of young pieces, would that be a better move? Maybe, but there are no guarantees. When you look at Memphis um, and the move they've had over the few years, getting rid of Zach Randolph and Tony, Tony Allen and some of the other core members of that grit and grind club. I think they've hung on to Marcus all a little too long. He's still a productive player, but he's definitely a player that's in decline. And I think Mike Conley is a borderline all-star. His only real hurdle is he's just injury prone. If I'm Portland, I think it's time. I think you have to make a tough decision, but I think it's ultimately going to be the right decision for your franchise. If you're the Grizzlies, it's time to start that rebuild ASAP. 46 to 48 games in. James Harden, a.k.a. The Beard, has the Rockets back in the hunt. And it's been a blast watching him. I've heard some people say that his game is ugly, his game is frustrating, it's boring. When I watch James Harden, yes, if you're guarding him, 
it's incredibly frustrating because of his ability to draw fouls. And some of them are legit fouls. And I would say half of them, he's a really gifted actor. That said, the man's averaging 35 points, six rebounds, eight assists, 44% from the floor, 37 from three. And without the services of Chris Paul, without the services of Clint Capella now, he's carrying them. If James Harden is able to get the Rockets back into the playoffs by himself with this current roster, continuing to put up the numbers that he's put up, James Harden will win back-to-back MVPs. Book it. And here we are, 46, 48 games in, and nobody's mentioning the rift between Draymond and KD. Nobody's talking about Clay's shooting struggles. Suddenly, the Warriors are back on top of the West. Clay's jump shot is water again, and all is well. And... They just added Boogie Cousins to their starting five. And Cousins played well in the war in his Warriors debut. 14 points, six rebounds. I still stand by what I said before, though. There's going to be a honeymoon period with Cousins on the floor. But the true challenge for Golden State is how they respond after a couple of losses with Cousins being part of the equation. How well will he handle the games when he only gets seven or eight shots? Or when teams attack him in pick and roll? And they will. Teams will attack him in space. He struggled with that before his injury. So I don't know what he's going to do afterwards, but they're going to test that knee. Should the Warriors be favored to win the West? Of course. There's no debate about that. But the big picture, I don't think they're a lock to 3P. And that is the big picture. The big picture is, are they going to win the championship? Favored? Again, yes. But I I just have this odd feeling there's a couple teams, the Raptors, the Bucks, and even with all their issues, the Celtics that match up very well with Golden State. I happen to think the Raptors and Celtics don't just match up with them. They're deeper. And that might be something people should look at with Golden State. They're they're top heavy. The bench isn't what it's been in past years. Iguodala, Livingston getting up there in age, and some of the younger players just haven't been that good or that consistent. I still think Golden State, or should I say, ultimately it's Golden State versus the field. And most people would take Golden State. This year, I'm rolling with the field. I'm enjoying watching Golden. I'm, I'm, I'm actually enjoying watching the Timberwolves. And I know they were kind of hard to watch early in the year with the Jimmy Butler drama with Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins. But watching Derrick Rose, the remix, 19 points a game, five assists, 48% from the floor. But what's crazy is he's shooting 43 from three. Watching him play at an all-star level again, that's crazy. I don't know if he'll make the all-star team. I know he's he's actually really high up there in terms of fan voting. I don't know if he's an all-star, but I'll tell you this. He's going to be right there with Lou Williams for six men on a year. I enjoy watching what Kawhi has done with the Raptors. And I'll be honest, I didn't know how that was going to work out. I wasn't sure Kawhi could step away from that Spurs system and really just establish himself as an individual talent. And he's done that big time. 
He's another guy who has a legit, legit shot at being the MVP. 27 points a game, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, and 2 steals. Along with the development of Siakam and Anubi, when you look at the Raptors and some of their young guns, along with their strong veterans with Ibaka and Lowry, I really think this team right here, if they can remain healthy, the Raptors are the team to beat in the East. When I look at the Bucks and the continued development and improvement of Giannis, 26 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists, 58% from the field. He's doing all this. He still doesn't have a mid-range. And to say he doesn't have a three is being kind. The man shoots like 18% from three. When you shoot that much, you don't shoot threes. But he's doing all that without a mid-range game. If he establishes a mid-range jump shot, never mind the three, but if Giannis can consistently make a jump shot from 15 to 16 feet away, it's over. When I look at the Bucks starting five, they're, they're also top-heavy too because they're starting five. Giannis, Middleton, Brogdon, another one of the most underrated players in the game, Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez, a stretch five. It's one of the best fives in the league. I think their weakness is also their bench strength, their depth, the lack of firepower coming off their bench. That said, do I think the Raptors, or my bad, do I think the Bucks and the Raptors are going to meet in the conference finals? I'm not so sure. I know I talked about Boston's drama, but if I'm following my NBA gut, I'm going to say the Raptors and the Celtics meet in the conference finals, despite what Giannis has accomplished, despite how much improved the Bucks are. I just don't think they have enough. And it's no secret going back to the West that I've been a fan of the Denver Nuggets with their young core of Jokic, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Hernan Gomez, Trey Lyles, along with super sub Will Barton, who's been injured. They've got solid vets like Paul Millsap. Mason Plumley, who I think is probably the best backup center in the NBA. The Nuggets are 31 and 14, and they're still waiting to add Isaiah Thomas, who's been injured, and first round pick Michael Porter to their roster. I, I, my gut feeling is Porter won't play this season, but you never know. I think this Denver team has every element you need, not just to make the playoffs, but to make it to the conference final. What could hold them back is probably their two best players, Jokic and Murray. They're 23 and 21 years old, and they're not leaders. Murray is capable of being explosive. He can go off for 45 plus easy, but he's streaky, and his shot selection can be suspect at times. And on defense, he doesn't give you a consistent effort. With Jokic, he's probably the most skilled big man in the NBA in many years. The only thing that can stop Jokic is Jokic. He's the one impediment to him taking himself to that next level. Because he can be unselfish at times, unselfish to a fault. And late in games, when you need him to be ultra aggressive, he's the opposite of that. And I'm a big fan of his, but until he gets that dog in him, till when he says, give me the ball, get out the way, I got this. I think that's the one thing, along with what, what Murray does being streaky. I think those, those things, that's, that's what might hold them back 
from going to that next level. But again, we're talking about two guys, 23 and 21 years old. If they don't win it all or go to the conference final this year, it's not it's not the end of the world for them. This Nuggets team is on the upswing. This is one of the younger teams in the NBA. And these two guys are far from being in their prime. And last but not least, my Lakers. The Lakers are 25 and 23. They're struggling with LeBron missing the last 14 games. Rondo's missed 34 games. And Lonzo just got injured and be out for a month. That said, when the smoke clears, I'm standing by what I said, y'all. Remember this. This goes back to episode one, two, and three, I, I, I believe. When, when, this, when the smoke clears, I think the Lakers will be at least a fifth seed in the West. Kyle Kuzma can score, and he's at his best on the move or when he can catch and shoot. Brandon Ingram got off to a slow start this season, but he's played well of late. The thing about these two guys is I don't see superstar from either one of them. Ingram can do more things. He's more versatile, but he's not great at any one thing. Whereas Kuzma is not great at everything or he's not as versatile. He's definitely a scorer. I think Kuzma is one of those guys that on a title contender or on a title winning team, he's a legitimate second or third option, probably more of a third option. He's the kind of guy that can probably average 22, 23 points a game. That I can see. What I don't see from either of them is star or superstar. And really, the young player that has impressed me the last 15 games for the Laker was, is not Ingram or Kuzma. And Lonzo had played well, but it wasn't him either. It's been Zubak. In the Lakers' last 15 games, their young big, Zubak, has scored 16 or more points six times. And he went off for a career-high 26 points and 12 rebounds in a win versus OKC. I know it's a small sample size. And Tyson Chandler and JaVale McGee are veterans, and they're both better defenders. But this Zubac kid is talented. He can catch and shoot from 10 to 12 feet away. He can finish at the basket with either hand. He's a skilled offensive player that I think is playing himself more and more to the regular rotation. I think as the season goes on, you get a healthy LeBron back, he's going to find a way to use this kid even more and make this kid even more productive. FYI, the NBA trade deadline is February 8th. I call that the season, the, the season of silly because you start hearing the crazy, silly rumors, and nine times out of ten, that's all they are, rumors. Much love, Facebook fam, YouTube fam, everybody out there on Instagram. I'll be back on Friday with a shorter episode. I did this double-double because I was coming off of my cruise, coming off of my vacation with my love. And maybe I'm on cruise time and I've just got extra energy. Um, But good looking out. Much love. It's the Cypher.